Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. here with this must be the gig your little backstage pass to the world of live music every week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic big spongy globe we talk passion we talk first concerts last concerts and everything in the juicy center this week i'm delighted to be joined by jim james of my morning jacket and teddy abrams conductor and music director of the louisville orchestra we chat about the duo's collaborative suite of symphonic rock compositions tales of ayahuasca megadeth edith piaf and of course transcendental meditation but before we dig into all of that let's check in with our constant companion here in tmptg studios Hello, Engineer Adam. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing great. We saw one of our other favorite podcasts this weekend. Oh, absolutely, we did. And never not funny. We with did. With Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap. Burr, burr, burr. Burr, burr, burr. We saw it in Chicago we saw live it at taping. Zanies, or as he likes to say, <laughs> Zanies. At Rosemont. Rosemont. <laughs> Zanies Rosemont. If anyone hasn't listened to Jimmy Pardo's Never Not Funny podcast, it is Engineer Adam's favorite show. Absolutely, it and is. And he was fangirling and whoop whooping. I was whoop whooping. Cling clinging, clang clanging his glass. Cheers. How? I kept saying, <laughs> cheers, cheers, mates. <laughs> How was the show? It was, I was sitting next to you. I don't know why I'm asking. Next to me. Why are you asking me? It well, was, tell the people at home. Tell our good folk at home. There is no one quicker than Jimmy Pardo. It's true. He's got a mind that works incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. He does great crowd work. He told his classic Mr. Roper joke, which mm-hmm. always gets a standing ovation, at least in my mind. 
And kind of there. No, just no, really. No, everybody was clapping, though. They loved it. And my favorite part, thank you for asking, was yes. sitting next to Jimmy's dad and brother. I know. So sweet. <laughs> and looking next to them, little sweeties, and looking next to uh, over our shoulder and seeing them smiling, even through the disgusting crude jokes. <laughs> that was great. So thank you, Jimmy, for coming into town. I'm also excited to announce... We have another live show, show of, of the, the week. week. Wait, we started saying week a few weeks ago by Halloweening it. Yeah. So I don't know if it still works. I, think I mean, life t- is spooky. It's, but, it's now know. turkey season, so we got to do it like a no, turkey. No, do not. Gobbling. No, we are vegetarians <laughs> in this household. Please do not. Anyway, back to this week's live show of the week. Yes, let's get to it. Each week, we highlight one of the most heart-thumping events we could find out there and share it with you, our pod people, so you can go out and attend the show. So this week's show that we have chosen is... Can I have a drum roll? (laughs) We are looking at a performance from the Jonathan Van Ness, the JVN. The Queer Eye. Megastar. Megastar. Podcaster in his own right. Yes, he has a wonderful podcast if anybody's interested. It's Getting Curious with Jonathan Jonathan, Jonathan Van Ness. (laughs) And it's at the Tabernacle. That's not a real word. Yes, it is. (laughs) What? I thought that was a made-up American word. I mean, it's biblical. Tabernacle Tabernacle is biblical. (gasps) Is it? Absolutely it is. Uh, Clearly, I'm a Jew. Um, At... The Tabernacle, this is hilarious, in Atlanta on Thursday, November 21st, which is tomorrow. If you're listening to this, the day it drops. Which I hope you are, because that means that you care about us. We've talked about it. I know you and I have both cried at more than a few episodes of Queer Eye. Yes, many. More than a few. Yes. And JVN is a constant inspiration. So why wouldn't you go check out this show? Also, you can get nice tickets on StubHub if you've missed the chance to get the first round of tickets. Exactly. If you want to get in on the excitement of that show, or any show, or sporting event, or performance of any kind Mm -hmm. you can head over to stubhub via cosradio.lv slash stubhub that's cosradio.lv slash stubhub and find the best selection of tickets to the hottest shows one more time that's cosradio.lv slash stubhub and while we're talking about important things to do while on the internet What else? Let's talk about how you absolutely need to go to Apple Podcasts, to Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, and then subscribe, rate, and review to this show. And while you're at it, make it five stars. What other choice do you have? While you're at it, ten million stars. Just give us those stars. Throw them away. You have thousands of them to give. Give us a few. Buy 13 burner phones. Sign each one up for an account with I don't Apple Podcasts. This is good behavior. We should and be. And then leave five star ratings. 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 Honestly, I will tell you what book to pair with our top 10 list of albums from this year. That's a great idea. How about a personalized album recommendation for anybody that leaves a five star rating? That's fantastic. Email us at thismustbethegig at gmail.com with the name that you use to leave your review, and we will reply. If you give us a five-star rating, we will reply with (laughs) an album recommendation, one of our favorite albums from this year. But what did you ask them to leave? Their name? Uh, Just give us your name in the email so that we can prove that it was... 
They what more do you want? I want five stars. <laughs> this is like at a <laughs> drive-thru. I would like five stars, extra. Cheese. A little bit of an ex. No, no okay. cheese. Okay. Or they could leave it a little bit of a cheesy remark. Yeah. But I also want to know their star sign. And I would like to know their most embarrassing snack that they eat at home when there's nothing in the fridge. That's going to help you decide what album to recommend oh, to them? absolutely. All right. I, I, sure. I like and this. And your favorite book, maybe, if you'd like to do that too. Take us up on this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Really is. <laughs> we sound like car salesmen. We are. Anyway, do not send us unsolicited emails that are... Don't leave us a two-star review and then send us an email saying you suck. We don't want don't that. Don't do that. If you do do that, though, we will have your email. And we are very capable of just emailing you back terrible photographs of burning bridges. Yeah, we could send viruses. I'll, s- I'll send you... No, Jesus. <laughs> what are we, 98, yeah. Mr. Hacker? Yeah. What, are you going to go download a song for a weekend? Uh-huh. Anyway, let us focus on this week's interview, please. Jim James and Teddy Abrams call in to discuss the origins of their fantastic new album that I haven't stopped playing. It's called The Order of Nature. It's got wonderful artwork too, so I really highly recommend not going digital for this. Get the vinyl, get oh, the yeah. CD, get whatever. What did I say? CD. I mean, I suppose. Get the CD. Get Why the not? CD. Do it. Do the CD too. In addition to discussing the heart of music in their Louisville home, Jim and Teddy talk about this project as an alternative to My Morning Jacket, writing letters to Gershwin and the value of having a conversation through their music. We are joined by Jim and Teddy live from ACAST Studios this week in New York. Thank you to Tim and thank you to Ali. You have been wonderful to us. Let us not delay. This is me, Jim and Teddy. Enjoy! Tell us what you have for breakfast. Oh, I had I had uh, uh, overnight oats. <laughs> had overnight oats from a blue bottle coffee. <laughs> nice. Every single day, I have oatmeal. It does not matter what the day is. You ever you ever get into the thing where you put eggs and cheese in your oatmeal and stuff and veggies? Wait, holy moly, dude! I gotta make you. I gotta make you some oatmeal sometime. Oh my god! Oh, it's sick. Yeah, you say. make eggs and uh, cheese and whatever veggies you want and mix them into your oatmeal. Woo! So it's not a sweet oatmeal. It's, I just had oatmeal. Completely redefined. I'm make me. you oatmeal someday. I'd love to try that. Jim, Jim. has reinvented oatmeal. Wait. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. No, it's wait. Do. I don't understand. I'm the inventor of um, home time snacks. Well, yeah. Check it out. So you make your oatmeal, okay. you know, like you normally would. Yes. And then in a, in another pan, you make your eggs. Okay. And what I do is I put some olive oil in the pan. And I'll throw in some mushrooms and some uh, spinach and kind of get those going, you know? Okay. And then I'll scram- scramble up the eggs and throw those in the same pan with the, the mushroom and spinach. Uh, get that all going. And then I'll throw some cheese in there so it gets all melty and nice. And then I'll take the oatmeal and just uh, put the egg, uh, I'll call it an omelet for lack of a better word. Okay, I'll put that okay. omelet in, in the oatmeal and then just kind of crush it all up together and put salt and pepper on it. It's almost nutritional like yeast. grits. That's what I was just going to say. It's like oats. American yeah. grits. It's like a new age grits. I love this. Yeah, it's oh, real good. Boy. Let's this do is a, not cooking a cooking podcast show, right? instead. Is this a cooking show? Yes. Oh, this <laughs> We've had is so many interviews today. We're not audition. sure. How do you get connected to your 
creativity, like get into the headspace? How do you make sure that you're not going totally, totally crazy? Well, sometimes you do go totally crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know about Teddy, but I just try to find the, uh, sometimes closing my eyes helps because it brings me closer to the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's hard. It's hard to know. I, I have to say my happiest place now is during rehearsals and concerts because yeah. especially when you're an orchestra conductor you know rehearsals are very structured mm. you cannot just stop and say hey everybody let's let's take five here and then let's just you know hang around and chat for a moment let's go get some, you know get some coffee and come back like it's two and a half hours and you have one break no longer than 90 minutes into the rehearsal so anyway the point is that it's very structured and nobody can bother you during rehearsals right you can't you can't take phone calls you're not going to check your email not so it's actually kind of that's weirdly Despite all the stress, that's my Zen place. Mm. <laughs> Nobody can bother me then. <laughs> but I understand that. I mean, you know, you have to be humble and appreciate it. Yeah, I feel like you really have to lean into the moment. And, yeah, try to remember that, that you might not get to do this again. Uh, I think about that a lot in the studio. Yeah. Because you, uh, you try to really lean into the moment because you're like, and give it all you have because mm. it might not come again. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, uh I think about that all the time in my line of work. Sometimes you get so stressed out, and you go, "Oh my gosh, this is another really difficult week. There's so much music." This is a bit. I I always wanted to be a conductor, and I'm actually doing that. And how many conductors do we really need? Right. You know, we really don't need very <laughs> no, many. Teddy, we need you. It, Teddy, we need you. We need you. <laughs> well, I love it, and, and I just remind myself though, like, okay, if I should really be appreciating this, because totally. a gazillion people would kill to be doing that this very thing right yep, now. But absolutely it's hard to remember sometimes. Yep. It is when the stress gets you. You almost have to have this false sense of confidence when you're creating. You have to leave that day aside and you've got to just focus on the work you've got to tap into that little talent area i don't know what to call it whatever it's called the magic mm-hmm. zone you know yeah. yeah yeah nobody's paying money to come see you just you know be upset because that's how you were i mean you're the music the music speaks to things broader than than your feelings in just that one second right. I mean, uh, yeah you know what i mean i think it's alchemy too i think you have to be able to transmute that uh that sadness or that anger into the music that night Absolutely. you know you have to take it so lots of times that's what I'll do if I'm sad or or angry or whatever I'll it will actually help the performance that night cuz I'll I'll transmute it into a you know more passionate guitar solo or a more passionate vocal performance or whatever whatever it might be at the time um so I I think it's that's that's the thing for me at least is trying to learn how to uh turn the uh the turn the bad stuff into gold right uh, yeah, uh, yeah yeah I've actually had some of my best concerts when I've been feeling under the weather or, like, I really, really? have to pull through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, when I felt like, oh, man, I really feel like crap. But <laughs> somehow, yeah. like, that – yeah, because the, the brain rallies. It, it tells your whole being to, to, to give everything of itself to make this happen. And that probably draws on reserves that we don't just use. Normally, we feel like we don't – I don't know how to access those. But you do when you when you feel like – you know, the, you have no choice. Right. Well, there's something energizing, just like I suppose what's fitting for this conversation, weirdly, but the concept of nature, it's there's something really energizing about feeling into yourself and really uh, tapping into that core of who you are. So then where does perfectionism come into that? I think there's a time and place for everything. Mm. Uh, it, at least for me, I try to like forget about the perfectionism while the performance is happening. And let the uh, let the spirit in, uh, let the 
the forces of nature in, let let everything in, and just just try my best, you know, no, knowing that it's going to be flawed. Everything is flawed. I don't think there is such a thing as of perfection. But then, on the flip side of that, it's like then once everything is done and you're in the studio mixing or you're editing or whatever, then you can let your uh, your perfectionist brain take over. But every project's different because this project is really interesting because everything was recorded live. And when we first got the tapes back, you know, your perfectionist brain starts to kick in and you're like, maybe we can maybe we can fix this or fix that. But but with this recording, it was wild because all the mics picked up everything else. So you couldn't uh, you couldn't separate anything and you couldn't fix anything because it changed the sound of everything. Right. So that was really, really interesting practice of just letting it be uh, flawed. And the cool thing about it to me was that I loved the performance that night's performance so much. And it was such an emotional, uh, powerful, powerful performance for us that the things that that I felt were, quote unquote, uh, flawed, actually kind of became part of what what I love about it. It's not like you could chop and shift the orchestra around you. Yep. So that makes and even if you because what was this recorded? You did three, two nights of this show. Yep, two nights. So then you could potentially have thought about maybe mixing those two nights. But then, yep, I don't know how. Yeah, did we you even tried to do that. that. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I even tried to do that, you know, because we jump. I would jump back and forth and between songs and listen to Friday's songs versus Saturday's songs. Okay. And for me, for me, and, and with music too, I don't know if people realize how minute you can get with editing. You know, it's like you could take just a word from Friday and put it in Saturday or, or a section or a song or whatever. You can get as small or as big as you want. But for me, the, I mean, Friday's show is fine or whatever, but it just didn't have the same magic. Like Saturday, we all walked off stage and we're just like, that was insane. That was so magical. So incredible. And Friday's show is like, oh, that was pretty good. Pretty good practice run. You know, so every time I pop back over to Friday, uh, I just, I was just like, this just doesn't sound as good. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. And this is very unusual. I don't think there's an orchestra album that's ever come out that has been done in one, one, one single take. I mean, it's really incredible, but that wasn't the end of the process. Obviously sure. the mixing and the editing of, of, you know, oh, the, so the way it sounds, mm-hmm. the repanning. I mean, all these things are not traditional for an orchestra album. I think it's what makes it really special. And it also draws on the energy of the crowd that was there because th- th- we had a really, really special crowd, a very diverse mix uh, I've never seen a crowd like that at one of our concerts where you had I mean, we had people we, we ran the zip codes and they, they were flying in from all over the place and uh, driving in from Chicago and flying in from both coasts. And then you had all the orchestra subscribers who come to all the concerts because they bought the subscription. They had no no, no. idea what was even going to happen when they bought that. Uh, and there they all are. And they're all together. You know, oh, man, were, weren't they lucky part of that it. night? Yeah, I didn't believe it. I asked Jim like four different times, and I, I kept <laughs> yeah. asking. I was like, "Well, because it affects how musicians are paid yeah. too." Yeah, <laughs> and, oh, right. and I actually don't sure. think that anybody believed it. Yeah, yeah, I think we paid them for both concerts anyway because they're like, "No, no one will believe that." <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's some sort of like Jim Voodoo. I love hearing the crowd, and it kind of evokes nature and the the theme without really needing to use those sound effects you're using it in a way that it's kind of softer definitely yeah that's kind of always been my mission lyrically is to speak about things that that i care about and 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 things that i think uh people need to 
think about or talk more about, but but not beat people over the head with it or or be preachy about it, because I feel like that often just brings more anger, you know. And it's like the uh, I feel like Teddy and I both agree that we need more connection in this world, and we need more forgiveness, and we need more peace, and we need more love. And you know, preaching to the choir just just doesn't work anymore, you know, because it's like there's a lot of people you know, who who would already agree with what I'm saying or whatever. And, and I, I want to speak to everybody. I, right. I don't want to, I don't want to make any new enemies. You know, I just want to make new friends. I want to, I want to maybe get through to somebody, you know, who might disagree with, with a lot of what I'm saying, but have them hear it in a new way where they might think, oh, you know what, that's, that's made me think about this in a different light. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of our mission with this is to try to get get through to people instead of push people away I, I suppose i've never really thought of music as a conversation in that light but with w- what is happening in the world i suppose that is the way that it should be right you should be able to have a conversation about it as opposed to being to to use your term preachy yeah absolutely so were you always interested then in classical orchestration Jim? well i mean i was always fascinated by it and my great aunt played upright bass in the louisville orchestra for about 30 years so i was was familiar okay yeah i was familiar with the world and i was you know we would go see the orchestra and stuff but the uh it was never really my world i guess you'd say like i'm not very uh well versed in it and uh, not very knowledgeable uh but i always enjoyed it um but really like the the thing that's always interested me, I guess, in that way is is uh, soundscapes and uh, soundtracks and interesting uses of percussion and interesting uses of all the things that are in an orchestra. So when we had this chance to do this, that's what I was interested in uh, working with Teddy is the soundscapes and the, uh, you know, the way you can paint a thing to make it feel like you're walking through the snow or make it feel like this or that, you know, in almost a, a cinematic kind of soundtrack way uh, is kind of the way I, I think about a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's something that you hear on each of the tracks. It's it's kind of something that you alluded to before that you, you, without having actual sounds of the leaves or the waves or the right. wind, the orchestra is capable of representing all of those things. And it, it is a representation. It's not a, an exact correspondence but when you hear you know a fluttering piccolo all by itself or for instance in in demand uh you hear these chimes and you hear these you know very powerful kind of fifths and the trumpets then they go to the trombones and the strings play this incredibly repetitive uh oscillating passage you that all evokes stuff that we're connected to whether it's from film scores or because somebody you know loves opera or they grew up listening to beethoven or honestly they've never heard anything before it just immediately calls all these images to mind and it and it creates almost a, a, a like in your imagination a whole visual backdrop for for the content of of Jim's lyrics and that's what I was trying to do I wanted to almost look like a movie as you as you hear this music it's so visually uh arresting that you actually can see the, the the imagery. I'm not surprised that you describe it better than I could as a listener, but I think that that's absolutely spot on. I think we want people to start at the beginning and then take the journey through the whole thing, not just find their favorite song and listen to just that. It really is meant to be a concept. Uh, you know, a, It's a single work of art and it's bound together. 
And you know, you can hear that in the themes and the motives. They're all designed to to create this through line. So that as you listen from the beginning to the end, it feels like this piece is un, unfurled for for you. It's it's it keeps presenting new layers. It's not just something where I like that one part. It's almost hard to extract it. I think, and that 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 does make it a different kind of album than a lot of uh, a lot of certainly than a lot of rock albums and even than a lot of orchestra albums. So, Teddy, I'm curious what your answer then is to the inverse of what I asked Jim. Were you an orchestral music fan from the beginning, or did it come through to you through something else in another path? Yes, I was I was an orchestra fan since uh, I started playing piano when I was a little kid, three or four, and I started playing clarinet when I was eight. And I actually was a total orthodox orchestra person. Mm-hmm. I was such a... I, I mean, I would call myself a real snob, right. but I was also eight, so I'm like, I, I didn't know that I was a snob. I was so opinionated. Yeah, I was like, I was so boxed in and opinionated. Like, it's really shocking, because as Jim will tell you, you know, I've done all this, these projects with completely non-classical people, and I love it. Uh, but I did like to improvise and, and compose, even when I was very young. I was already writing my own pieces. And the weirdest thing is, my first orchestra concert I ever saw, I was nine years old, it was all Gershwin, which, and Gershwin is like the ultimate genre-breaking composer because he was a jazz pianist. He loved jazz. He loved uh, ragtime. He loved all this music that was not classical, but he was also classically trained and wanted to combine those two things. And so I didn't realize that that my my hero was actually like this real total genre-bending and barrier-breaking guy. Uh, but then later on, I, I just hit on this thing where I thought all music is is built on the same essential powerful language it's not you know the 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 fact that it sounds different on the surface is just a surface variation that's just like an accent but the thing that makes it work and communicate is universal and uh i i realized that much later on and that's when i got on this thing that well we should be using the orchestra as a platform not just playing concerts it's a platform to to bring folks together i mean the orchestras stand i think they can stand as an institution for a city but i feel like this album really emphasizes that for louisville as well yeah that's a really good point i mean it is really symbolic of louisville uh right now uh because Louisville has been really growing and changing and expanding and um, just getting more and more exciting. There's so many great artists that are that are coming up and creating art. And I feel like Teddy's been a big part of of connecting all those dots since he came to town. Because uh, before, in a lot of time when I was growing up, things get really segmented. Right. You know, it's like there's the there's the orchestra and it's completely the orchestra and it never plays with anybody else, you know, and and there's there's the rock community and the hip hop community and the indie rock community or whatever. But I feel like we've really seen a lot of those walls come down. You know, we've really seen a lot of people getting together uh from all walks of music and life and uh you know visual art and music and and I think Teddy's been a big part of that of bringing people together. Because you see that, you know, the orchestra, whether you like it or not, usually if you're a musician, you at least have this uh, respect for the orchestra, you know, because it's been there, been there for so long and so much longer than you. So even if you're a person who didn't grow up, if you're a musician, you know what the orchestra is and you know that people respect it. So when somebody like Teddy comes in and says, hey, the orchestra's for everybody, that is a really mind-blowing thing because it opens everybody's mind to like this orchestra 
can be anything. You know, it can play hip hop. It can play country music. It can play Beethoven. It can play rock. You know, it's like it can do anything. Well, and I can say from our perspective, you know, Jim has obviously introduced us to so many people. He has such a you know a global following and fans who I've learned a lot from from watching how Jim and his team, you know, all do things because a lot of the ways that 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 large Arts organizations like orchestras and museums, ballet companies, they do things the same way. There's not a lot of new thinking. It's it's sometimes a little bit like a fishbowl and everyone's just going around and around the fishbowl. And watching the way Jim connects with his fans and the way they see him and I've I've learned so much uh, about about the some of the possibilities out there in the industry, but also he's just introduced the orchestra to a a, a global uh, kind of new group of people that that probably had no connection to the Louisville Orchestra or or, or a, a very distant one at best, uh, and I can say even though it's a probably you know a smaller number, but there are all kinds of people who you know come to the orchestra, big fans and or donors and people that make it possible for us to do what we do. They become huge Jim James fans now, and they're they're really you know they love his music and they've flown around and come out to see <laughs> our shows now. And I mean that's a that's a really beautiful thing to see to see that happen and to think that that can happen also at any any age because we have you know people who are supporters who they're not in their 20s so we do have some but but we also have some who are just not and they've like they're totally turned on to this music now which is just really special to see that happen i can imagine i feel like there's so much more intersection in recent years of orchestra and rock music yeah. so do you do each of you have a favorite example of orchestral rock i mean for me i kind of had fun pretending I was Edith Piaf, you know, like just being like a, being like a singer, you know, with a great, with a great orchestra behind them. Uh, Cause for me, it's been so fun to just, just sing and not play guitar and not be the, oh, the sure. leader of a band, of a band, you know, it's so cool to kind of be in Teddy's band, you know, and I'm, I'm singing and it's such a, uh, just a, a free, uh, beautiful feeling. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I used much more, as a model, uh, the song cycles of Mahler or or the the orchestrations of Brahms uh, and Ravel as as a kind of inspiration for this, rather than looking at some of the collaborations. There are some great ones. I mean, S and M, you know, the San Francisco Symphony with Metallica. Uh, or even just the use of of the orchestrations on the wall, for instance. I mean, those are great, very specific kind of collaborations, but they're not really starting from the idea of of having the orchestra be the instrumental focus. They those are more situations where there was existing material and then you added in the orchestra kind of like a flavor or you said you know here's how the band sounds what if we added a string patch here that will be a nice like it will make it sound a little more soaring we were really talking about from the beginning of well what would it be like if jim sang like an operatic singer in front of the orchestra with no guitar and there was no drum set and electric bass up there too and that changes the entire thing because you're not just filling in effects, which is a lot of what you hear on on the rock records that use strings. You're hearing kind of a, you know, you need a little soaring violin thing here. Right. You need a brass hit. And this is very, very different than that, um, which which is fun. It made it particularly fun and challenging oh my gosh, uh, on the totally. orchestration side. But Jim, I've never heard you sound like this. It, clearly, there was things that you connected to on this album to allow for you to feel that free but what was the prep then for you to just kind of let let go? You know, honestly, I really just didn't think about it. I feel like that's kind of the key for me. The less I think about it, the better. You know, that's the uh, 
I kind of always joke like if if I would have hated it, I wouldn't be here talking to you right, right. now. And the album, <laughs> the album wouldn't have come out. Sure. You know, it's like so. I feel like for me, it's like I try to find that place, that spiritual place. And uh, I mean, I love when, like when we do a My Morning Jacket show, for example, or if I do a solo show. There's often sections where I just sing and don't play any guitar or anything. And that's something I've always loved is just being a singer. But oftentimes with like a rock band or whatever, there's just so much motion. You know, you're walking around and you're like jumping around or you're, you know, trying to connect with people, you know, like physically in the audience. Like, uh, but with the orchestra, it was fun to stand there. And, you know, Edith Piaf is the one that keeps coming to mind. But, you know, just stand there like a singer and it's like it's not it's not about me. You know, I'm up here singing, but I'm part of this whole huge organism and I'm just a, a member of the orchestra. And that for me is really thrilling because, um, uh, you know, it's just like uh, just such a different world. Pause the podcast. Pause the podcast. Are you looking at a calendar full of great events but struggling to find tickets? StubHub's gotcha. Whatever your favorite band, team, or venue, StubHub is here to save the day with the best tickets for any budget. Whether you're looking for a seat at a Broadway show, tickets to the summer's big arena tour, or a night of cheering on your hometown team, StubHub has the seats you're looking for at the price you want to pay. Head to cosradio.lv StubHub or their user-friendly app to find tickets that are 100% guaranteed by FanProtect. StubHub's never sold out with the most shows, the most tickets, and the most fans. So head on over to cosradio.lv slash StubHub or the StubHub app. The best tickets to the best experiences in music, sports, and theater. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. Are you ever concerned about not living up to the reality of that, you know, lived experience. Well, I mean, I think we all just got to keep shooting for the stars, you know. I think we all got to keep dreaming uh, of the world we want to see and then acting to try and change it, you know. And, and I, I, the way I do that is through music uh, and, and I try to, uh, you know, dream big and hope that, that people would hear what I'm saying and, and hope that maybe it would change their life or inspire them to even do something as simple as vote, you know, just like inspire people to kind of get up and, and take action so that we can see a better world for everybody. You know, because I think a lot of people are suffering right now and a lot of people are really scared. Uh, and there are so many of us, I think most of us uh, on on Earth want want peace and we want equality and we want love and we want true justice. Um, so those are things that, that I'm working for through my music. So, you know, it's just like, but yeah, you you can't control obviously what everybody's going to think and people are going to sure, disagree with you sure. and people, people are not going to like it and whatever. But it's like, I, at the end of the day, I, I really, I can't worry about that because I can just, all I can do is my best. Well, and in, in our world too, you know, th- thinking about how people immediately respond or, or it, whether people decide it's great or this or that, or it's going to live forever is a dangerous game because half of our composers, people all didn't like any of their music while they were alive. Mozart took them a long time to kind of become Mozart. Bach, they kind of shelved for a good solid 50, 60 years. Uh, you know, Schubert was just starting to break out and then he died. Uh, Mahler, they laughed at him. Didn't, you know, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> play his music in his own orchestra. He couldn't get his own orchestra to do it. I mean, like, there are these long histories of, of just, you know, where you don't know when something is going to totally connect with people and, and potentially change the world, too. Right, right. And I think, you know, especially we were very focused just on the musical side of this. I know I, I, I was. It wasn't like... Well, there wasn't this worry about are people going to, you know, say this is the greatest thing or the this or the that. It was like let's just let's do something that that's meaningful for us. And I think the message then will come through because it came from an honest place, which is I think all all you can do as an artist is to, is to be honest with yourself. That's so true. And I think some freedom that the internet uh, taught me maybe ten years ago, maybe halfway through my career, I kind of learned to stop caring because I think oh. when you first start out. You you read the comments or yes. you read the reviews and you either get really bummed or you get really stoked. You know, you're like, they think I'm a genius. And then, <laughs> then you read the next one and you're like, and then you then you read the next one and you're like, they think I'm a hack. I'm a talentless <laughs> hack. So really, in the end, it's kind of the great neutralizer, you know, because sure. now everything I put out, I really know that each thing I put out, somebody's going to not like it and somebody's going to like it. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, it's like. All I can do is if I know it came from an honest place in my heart, then I feel good about it. Because I already know that out there in comment land and out there in review land, somebody's not going to like it and somebody's going to like it. And that's kind of the who cares? You know, that's it's everybody's opinions different. Everybody's taste is different. That's so important. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's that's so, so true. Important. I feel like, and also it sounds, the problem with that is that it sounds so cliche because to tell somebody who's feeling a lot to stop caring is like antithetical to how they're feeling. So I sometimes find that a challenge because I can't tell somebody who's come up to me, you know, that troll, just forget about that troll. Like I can't normalize that behavior, if you know what I mean. No, I'm not trying to normalize it. I just feel like I don't have time for it. Sure. You know, it's like... We always say as musicians that everybody who is a reviewer of music should be forced to make an album yeah. first and put it out, <laughs> yes, you know, and, and feel the, <laughs> yeah, feel the pain of how it feels for somebody to make fun of, of your blood, totally. sweat and tears that, that you labored over, totally. you know. But so at the end of the day, I've just found it to be so true that anything I've ever done, somebody loves it and somebody hates it. So I just feel like at the end of the day, it's like, there's real things in the world to worry about too. You know, people are starving, people are dying, people are there's such so much hatred and inequality. Uh, if somebody doesn't like my record, whatever. Right. <laughs> oh, and and right. yeah, to Jim's point, it's not just the you know the crazy trolls online. It's it's any review. I mean, I, when I, when I first started getting some reviews, my parents would always send something to me. You know, oh man, this was a great review. I said, if you believe that one, then when I get a <laughs> terrible review, you have to believe that too. You better, you, you know, it's one or the other. But wait, you know that most, you both know that most reviewers, speaking of somebody who's been in this for a while, are the ones, I mean, I, I'm not, but they want to be musicians. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. Like they are and, just and many are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and many are amazing, thoughtful people. Sure. I'm not at all discrediting the whole oh, profession. No, I'm just, I, uh, I, but I, but I, but I am good. saying that that if you start believing one, sure. you have to believe in all of them. I mean, that's 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 part of the deal. You can't just pick and say, well, this one was a good one, that one's right, this one was a bad one, they were wrong. I mean, it's kind of, and and I do think that um, that you know, especially for in in our world. People usually don't talk about stuff at all. 
You know, that's right. that's the issue. It's not that there are too many crazy trolls out there going on and on complaining about your performance of, you know, the Brahms Third Symphony. It's actually the opposite that nobody's talking about right. you, which is in and of itself a problem. So every once in a while when we do have a spike in communication, it's hard not to not to look. But I will say people have been talking about this this collaboration and talking about the orchestra in a way that we never get this kind of attention. I mean, yeah. we, we, you know, we just did the Tonight Show last night. I mean, when's the last time an orchestra was on the Tonight Show? When's How the last time an orchestra? Tell, t- tell me all about it. Oh, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And, you know, I mean, we, we understood the, the importance of that moment, not just for the Louisville Orchestra, but for any orchestra, for the whole industry. And, and because, you know, it wasn't billed as, you know, just one singer and then, you could see that there are some strings playing in the background. It was billed as Jim, me, and the Louisville Orchestra, which is a big moment for our city even. You know, that's that because it's three three forces from from Louisville that are all coming together to to really go on a national platform and say, this is what we're doing in our city. And and I think everybody recognized that the importance that this was not just promoting an album. This is actually telling a, a big story. And, you know, Jim and I really believe in Louisville. We really, I, this is my adopted city. I came from San Francisco. Uh, that That's my hometown. Uh, and I didn't even think about Kentucky because people on, on the coast, they don't talk about the middle of the country very frequently. Uh, and if they do, it's usually not something good. And I'm, I'm not blaming the, I'm not blaming that, that process. That's just how, that's just how people think from their perspective about about America and what what it looks like and 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 what it means and what's important and and coming to Kentucky and Louisville specifically changed my entire perspective on that and I uh, I've grown to absolutely love it and I feel like it's now my responsibility to share that with people who don't think about it or or haven't heard the good news about what a great place it is and uh, like that's a big moment for our city. Yeah. And I was like, like the mayor even texted both of us before, like, guys, go kill it. Like, go, go represent <laughs> like that, that, you know, I don't think that a band that, that's from L.A., for instance, would get a get a text from the mayor right, right before going. That's just like, OK, you're, right. that's what you're that's what you're supposed to do. Right. <laughs> Jim, where did you go? That's a cool thing. I drank a giant <laughs> coffee right before this interview, and I had to go to the bathroom so bad. I tried. I'm glad tried that you didn't those... ask permission. You just were like, "Fuck yeah, it!" I couldn't I wait anymore. To, I just yeah. Well, Teddy was talking. I got. I knew Teddy had it covered. I was like, <laughs> I'll, "I'll talk." Yeah. yeah, I was like, "I'll, I'll talk for a little while." Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no, that is absolutely fine. And now, Teddy, I know that you mentioned when you were younger, you saw uh, your first concert. Was that um, the most memorable show you've ever seen? Well, okay, yeah, that definitely is the most memorable. I mean, there are two, and they were, especially when you talk about first shows. It's it, that show, Stern Grove in San Francisco, San Francisco Symphony, my very first concert, free concert outside, freezing cold, uh, and I saw the San Francisco Symphony play. Uh, two-hour program of of some of the greatest Gershwin that that I didn't even know who Gershwin was. I all I know is that when I saw the conductor. Conducting the Star Spangled Banner, I decided I want to be a conductor. That's all it took. It took the first two seconds. And I wrote him a letter. You um, did immediately after. Yep, I said I want to be a conductor. I was nine oh, years old, and I said I would like a conducting oh, lesson. Bless and he's the music director of the San Francisco <laughs> Symphony. Yeah, so uh-huh. do. and he wrote me back. He wrote he me did? back. I'll never forget that. What did he say? Yep, he wrote. He gave me all kinds of. He didn't give me a conducting lesson in person, but he did give me a lot of great advice, which I still. I have the letter framed on my wall to this day. I've seen it. Yeah, he's seen oh, it. Man, and that's, uh, that's a really lovely yep. story. I also feel like nobody. I don't know. People don't do that sort of thing anymore. But that's so great that you reached out and he 
responded. And if he hadn't done that one thing, I don't know if I'd be sitting here. I mean, maybe, but quite possibly not. The fact that this guy responded and I felt like I could do it. Yeah. This is a person who he didn't, he didn't even know me, but he said, you could you could do this. Here's what <laughs> Here are the things that you should be thinking about now. You're nine years old and here are the things you should be thinking about. And I thought, well, okay, this is day one of the journey. So cool. Yeah, yeah. that is so cool. And I love that you've got a frame, like you're proper, proper nerdy. Like that's great. Like, that's good right. For you. It's right there. Eat I look it. at it every, every morning. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think to myself, if a kid writes me a letter today, I'm not going to tell myself, oh, I'm too busy to respond to this kid. I'm going to always take that time and write back to that person, answer their question and, and help them out. Because you don't know where the next, you don't know where the next Mozart or Bernstein or or, or Gershwin is. You just don't know. No, it's important to give back, of course. And Jim, yes. what was your first ever? first gig I ever saw was Megadeth <laughs> with Stone Temple Pilots <laughs> opening. No, seriously. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, at the Louisville Gardens in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, wow. That's so good. How old are you? Uh, I let's see. I guess I was either a freshman in high school yeah. or. Or you know something like that somewhere around there. Was that something? Did you did you did it have any impact on you? Like, what was the thing that you take away from that first show? Well, it's funny because for so long, so I really liked music, and I was already playing music by then, and and learning how to play guitar, and, and we had a band, a little garage band. But I always felt like I would never succeed because all the bands I liked were really crazy looking like Metallica right. and Megadeth and you know that era of hair metal was so huge when I was that age so I always just felt like oh, well I'm just this kind of weird kid and I don't really know where I fit in I don't think I'd look very good in leather pants and all this stuff and uh <laughs> but then in Louisville in Louisville there's this band uh called Rodan mm-hmm. that was maybe one one of the sh- next shows I saw uh and that made me feel completely the opposite because Rodan was this beautiful mix of uh, feminine and masculine energy and this beautiful mix of, of art and pop and uh, heavy, you know, kind of crazy rhythms and crazy uh, arrangements, but some of the most beautiful, soft uh, things you'd ever heard before. And I remember seeing them and they had the film strip projected onto them of like butterflies coming out of their cocoons. Yeah. And it was just this really, really beautiful thing. And that was the first time that I ever saw a concert that made me think, oh man, like maybe I could do this. You know, maybe this is, this is kind of what I would like to create. Um, and uh, so the contrast of those two concerts was very uh, important in my mind. Cause I kind of went from thinking, oh, this is something that other people in leather pants get to do. <laughs> And then I saw Rodan, and I was like, oh, maybe this is something that, that I could do. Did you ever want to be that person in the leather pants? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, that era was so crazy because yeah, there was so was. much. Uh, the pop music was so uh, driven by that hair metal stuff. And it just always, as a little kid, you know, it's whatever. It's like you're just like looking at all these like crazy looking people, you know, and all the lifestyles written up to be so wild and stuff. You know, everybody's doing all this wild and crazy stuff out in the world. And I'm this little kid from Louisville, Kentucky, who's like yeah. reading about it at the grocery store, yes. you know, sitting at the grocery <laughs> waiting for my mom to finish getting groceries. I'm looking at, uh, looking at the hair metal magazines and stuff, just sitting there waiting, you know, and just thinking it was just so far away, you know, from what was happening in my world or, or how I thought I looked, you know, and then, uh, to see a band like Rodan 
And then what was so cool after I saw Rodan shortly, the whole grunge movement kind of broke. And then you did see more bands like R.E.M. and, and Nirvana, just more people who just looked like normal people, you know, kind of like us. And we're like, here are these people that they don't care. I mean, they definitely have an image, but it's like it's not all about this this posturing and this right. this whole tough tough attitude and stuff that really turned me off do you remember the first show that you ever performed yeah i do we had uh we had a little band uh and we did some girl's birthday party just out (laughs) out at some house somewhere i'll never forget it yeah we just like we rented a pa from doo-wop shop and uh we yeah, just went and tried our best. I'd love. I wish I could hear a course. Oh my god! Wait, do you know her, who she is? Yeah, do you know who no, she is? I, <laughs> gotta find her. I don't because it was oh. this at this time. I was in the band, and uh, my friend uh, who has passed away, his brother was singing, and it was one of their friends or something. So I don't. I don't even remember who oh, it was. Man, we have wow. to unearth that birthday party. You performed Jim at obviously uh, multiple events for the David Lynch Foundation. I've written a lot about Transcendental Meditation and Festival of Disruption with a lot of people that worked with David. And I believe you are also a proponent of TM, if that's right. I don't know if that's right. I am, you know, but it's funny in the, I mean, I started doing TM, I don't know, a while ago, 10 years ago or something like that. And recently, like in the last year, I've I've really struggled with it, and I'm kind of feeling a bit lost right now. Uh, I've always been a proponent of people meditating, and uh, you know whether that is TM for them or insight meditation or vipassana meditation or Zen meditation, you know whatever branch. I feel like meditation is such a valuable tool for us as humans. Um, but I, I've fallen into this kind of thing lately, and I don't know what what you'll think about this, but. I have a real problem with being in my head too much. And, and I feel like when I meditate, it takes me further inward and then I'm already too far in. So I kind of start to feel like I'm getting sucked in um, too far. So like I, I need help. Go- effect. Yeah. Yeah. I need help going out. I don't need any more help going in. And I think the focus <laughs> so, of going in that pressure, it's almost like sensation, it's like sensationalism at its like extreme. It's so difficult, especially because I, so my next question, maybe this doesn't, the thing that I was wondering about was really, how do you then do it whilst you're on tour? Well, I do feel like, uh, well, like with TM, it's like for the first Two or three years, I was so good about it. I never missed. I I did both meditations every day, and I never missed it, no matter what. Because what they say, on one hand, is true. Like, there's always time. We all have a spare 20 minutes we can take and go sit down somewhere. But but as many people who have to travel and who have a hectic lifestyle know, oftentimes that kind of isn't true. And you can't, if you're on a loud, noisy tour bus with 10 other people, there sometimes there really isn't anywhere lit just literally for you to go be by yourself and sit there in silence. Um, so I, I don't know. That's something that, that I've struggled with, uh, being a touring musician, you know, cause I'm at home, it's a lot easier and I, I can med- meditate and, you know, get, go sit on the couch quietly. But, uh, and especially, uh, you know, I don't have any kids or anything, but I can't imagine, uh, trying to juggle, not only your your career, but also your kids and your family life. But I do think it's important, though, because I, you know, I said, I can't remember what I was talking about, but I feel like right when I need it most 
is when I usually fall out of practice. Yeah. And that that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cool. That's, that's, that's the trick That's of the it. kicker. That's the thing. That's what happens. Yeah. Because I really, like David Lynch is like one of my creative heroes. Oh my you gosh. know, I feel like oh art- artistically, he's such a hero. So when you hear David Lynch say he's never missed a meditation in like 40 years or whatever, you know, he's, and he was so cool when I've done some of those benefits, you know, he, t- he talked to me a little bit about it and he was just like, you know, not, not in 40 years or whatever has he ever missed one i think he made some joke he's like one time i got in a car accident or something and i missed one (laughs) or you know it's like and that's it you know but it's like the uh so that really hit me heavily because you know it's like his creativity is so uh just out of this world but for me it's just like you know obviously people are so different and for me i just have had a crisis with it lately where I feel like it's taken me too in. And that now when I've been meditating recently, I've been just trying to do more breath-based meditation. Right. And, uh, but that's really hard for me as a singer because I get all hung up on my breath. And so I'm actually, I don't know if anybody who listens to the this uh, this podcast will hear my desperate cry for help, but <laughs> I'm looking for, <laughs> I'm looking for a new path. Cause I, I took a silent uh, retreat for like a week oh, uh, based in, based in Zen meditation yes. Uh, and that was very uh, just didn't didn't work for me. Um, so I, I'm really kind of uh, my my doors are are open again. Talking about shows and performance, do you both have that show for you that you performed that really made you feel confident in the path that you were taking? I really did recently. I've had this awakening uh, recently, and I and, and I don't even know how to put words to it, but. For me, it like also was a literal thing because I, I really struggled with uh, my morning jacket performances for a long time because they just took a lot out of me because I'm singing uh, songs I wrote 20 years ago yeah. or more, yes. you know, so it's yeah. like it's <laughs> it's hard to that. conjure that energy up every night. And uh, it became very painful for me and, and actually had several real injuries and had to go to the hospital several times and had kind of come to this place where. I needed sunglasses to play a show and I needed to uh, like hide behind all these things and uh something in me broke in a good way and we just played uh a handful of shows uh not too long ago a couple months ago and for the first time I felt free I felt like uh I didn't hide behind any uh sunglasses or any costumes and i i looked people in the eye and i felt like this newfound uh i found this newfound freedom where it was like even if i was singing a song from 20 years ago that was painful it was okay you know it was like it was almost like uh this experience of there being uh this good gym Mm -hmm. that was there to take care of the other gym you know i (laughs) i had this really profound experience you know where I was like, I was like, let the good gym, let the good gym in. Yes. You know, don't always let, don't always let the gym that's hard on himself be the one that controls. Because I feel like that's who I've let control me for so long is is the taskmaster gym and the one that's like, you're not good enough, or you could do this better, or somebody else is out there better than you. You know, saying all this negative shit at me, it's like I've tried to let the good gym in, and and the good gym takes care of me and, and tells me I'm okay and, and uh, is my protector. So I've really felt just recently that only recently, and I've been touring for so 20 long. years or whatever. 
Well, I got to be honest. I think there's two things. I think one thing is just age. You know, I think as you get older, we're kind of constantly trying to find new ways to reinvent the wheel and be kind to ourselves. Uh, And and also I did ayahuasca for the first time and had this really profound experience where literally um, the, the gym that I thought I was, was laying on the floor dying. And this good, this good Jim came in and held me and, and patted my hair back and, and kind of hugged me and told me, uh, you know, it's okay, it's okay, Jim, you're, you're too hard on yourself. You're being too, you're too ruthless with yourself. You need to be gentle. You need to, to take care of yourself and think about the good things. So I I really felt like a true, uh, new birth of this this good Jim who had never been present really because I'd never met him before. I only knew, I only knew either the angry uh, taskmaster Jim or, or the Jim that, or the scared, afraid Jim or the Jim that wanted to please everybody. But this, uh, this new Jim has been a really beautiful person to get to know. And, and uh, it's really, uh, yeah, I think that combined with just like being more open to love in life and being more open to, uh, to being in the moment and just accepting the, the beautiful things that come with with getting older as well yeah i don't really believe in the like idea of the tortured artist oh yeah it's bullshit the kurt cobain the kurt cobain suicide you have to be a tortured heroin addict to be a genius is a bullshit myth that i think got him too you know it's like because he was he was a genius and you know obviously there have been many many tortured geniuses but it's like i try to look to people like curtis mayfield or stevie wonder people who like have a family and they have this beautiful life in this beautiful community and they sing about their kids and they sing about the sunshine and they sing about the earth and all the good things in life too yeah i'm sick of the of the tortured artist myth but but it's tough though when you actually feel tortured right right yeah <laughs> and that's, that's when the uh that's when the good gym comes in and tries to help me now oh man i love that that. that made me smile so <laughs> i've got one other quick question about collaborators the amassing of talent for the new basement tapes with Elvis Costello and uh, Mumford and it's all it was all organized by T-Bone Burnett who obviously said that he chose you because you were musical what, what did he say I read it earlier musical archaeologists or something like that which I thought was really lovely yeah but you know the concept of nostalgia and your relationship to it I think there's that's also on the album. You know? I don't consider it looking back because I feel like great art is eternal. You know, and I think where you look, if you look at any art, whether it's uh, visual art or uh, music, there are certain pieces of art that feel dated. You know, you can listen to certain things and they, they don't feel eternal. But then you listen to other things that are eternal. And those are the things that, that I think inspire us the most and that we carry forward the most. So it's almost like they are our our spiritual teachers uh, because they, they don't have a time. They don't, they don't exist back then. They, they will always exist. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're larger spirits than, than we can even comprehend. So I feel like the, the works that, that we have been inspired by uh, are, are more of an eternal thing. So I don't really think of it as a, as a necessarily looking back. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. I feel like there's a lot more to do. So what is the next step? Well, I mean, this is something that we hope is eternal. You know, it's not all it's not really in the artist's hands. You know, I think every artist wants everything they create to be eternal, you know, but only time 
uh, and humanity will decide that. But I think for us, the cool thing about this piece is we can perform it forever, really. I mean, we've got dates scheduled way in advance next year and two years from now and three years from now. You know, there's already these dates on the calendar. So for us, this is a fun thing we can get together and do forever and, you know, knock on wood, hopefully do do another one, you know. And, and then it becomes this thing that you really, it's so amazing. It's like Teddy and I can go to anywhere on earth and play with that symphony and do, do this piece of music. And that, that's such an exciting thing. So, you know, we hope it's, it can be an eternal thing. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble, and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and the Kickback for our theme song, Rube and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already again for listening to this week's episode here's a little reminder that StubHub is the best place to score the tickets you need whenever you need them backed by their 100% fan protect guarantee StubHub has the seats you want at the price you want to pay and they're never sold out so you can score tickets up to the last minute head to cosradio.lv slash StubHub that's cosradio.lv slash StubHub, and then enjoy the show. Consequence Podcast Network.